Uh, uh, who's tired this morning? Uh-huh. Okay. Um, uh, who went to bed uh, uh, later than 11 o'clock? Raise your hand. Okay. Keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. Later than 12 o'clock. Okay. Later than 1 o'clock. Oh, I see that. Okay. It's going to be a struggle. Uh, later than 1.30. Okay. Later than 2 o'clock. My goodness. Later than 2.30. Oh, my Lord. Later than 3 o'clock. Oh, my goodness. Later than 3.30? Later than, than 4? Oh, my Later than 4.30. Later than 5. Did y'all sleep through the night? Like, y'all ain't sleep? Oh, my goodness. All right. Wow. Let's clap it up for him. We should get, like, prizes for them or something like that. Only after they stay up during the sermon. That... That's when they'll actually get the prize. Uh, we're going to be in First John again. Um, I understand that we are a little bit sleepy. Uh, I hope you guys got some coffee. I just did. I was tired myself too, so I can't lie. Um, but we're going to be in First John, uh, and we're going to be in chapter 2, starting in verse 28. Chapter 2, starting in verse 28. All right. I'm going to go ahead and read aloud, and it says this, it says, Now little children abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure." All right, I'm going to pray for our time real quick, and then we can dive in. Father, uh, thanks once again for your word. I praise you for uh, just everyone under the sound of my voice. It has just been a delight already just to worship you, to celebrate you, uh, and just to have a fun time. Uh, that was our prayer coming in, that we would be able to enjoy you, but also be challenged by you. And uh, we're just seeing that happen already. So God, continue to do your work amongst your people. Uh, I need you desperately uh, as a weak vessel. Uh, let us hear from you this morning. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so uh, if you were with us last night, I don't know if some people have kind of showed up here uh, this morning. Uh, maybe you had a late night last night and uh, you weren't able to make it to last session. But uh, last night we were going through 1 John chapter 1 and we were talking about this idea uh, that God is light. And if we have fellowship with him, we walk in the light as well. And walking in the light means walking in both righteousness and realness, being fighting for righteousness before God and also being real when we come up short. And we said that those two things collide in this idea called repentance, that the life of the Christian is a life of repentance. 
And then we uh, had a time of, uh, I don't even know how to explain it, uh, called a talent show. Um, and uh, I, I met some people for the first time. I met this man named Joey, uh, who is a liar, pathological liar. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about liars uh, this morning, actually. And so that would be fun. How many people uh, had a good time learning a little bit more about Herman uh, and the fact that he was indeed locked up uh, uh, just a... Just for a little while, y'all. I'll let you know a little bit more of that backstory later, okay? Um, but had a good time with the talent show, and then uh, we're here this morning, and we're going to be talking about this idea of being a true child of God. That should put a smile on your face. And we're called true children of God. And so this is what the idea of true children is in this text. Three points, I'm out of your way. First off, that true children are abiding children. True children are abiding children. Next, that true children are adopted children. And then last but not least, true children are children that are aligned. Abiding, adopted, aligned. Let's look at this first idea. It says, and now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Now, Here's what the text has gotten us up to up to this point. So we finished chapter one. He talks about the fact that we are called to walk in the light. And when we do this, when we live, pursue righteousness and we pursue realness and we walk this life of repentance, we're being truthful amongst ourselves. But then he gets to chapter two and he says these words that little children, I write these things to you so that you might not sin. Call to righteousness. But then he says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. Say advocate. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So what he wants us to understand is that, yes, we're going to pursue righteousness, but we will ultimately fail. But don't fret. Jesus Christ is the payment for your sins. It's all good. Amen. Then he goes down, and it gets a little bit more tough. He says that he has written no new commandment but an old commandment. And this commandment is that we should love one another. And he introduces this concept of love, which we will come back to this evening. And then he also goes and talks about the reality of fathers and children and young men, these three different generations. And I love this because our network is built on this idea. That, that, that God has placed us in a church that is built not only in terms of multi-ethnicity, but also in terms of multi-generational. That we are made up of young children. We are made up of young men and we're made up of fathers. And I like how he talks about the children. He says the children, their sins have been forgiven for his namesake. They know the father. I like that. Because what he's saying is that they have a simple faith and that's enough. I really love that. Because he's saying that all the children know the answer in Sunday school is Jesus. I like that. He's saying it's just simple. You ain't getting all deep. You ain't arguing about the Trinity. All you know is Jesus died for you, and that, my friends, is enough. But then he moves on to fathers, and he says fathers have a lot more theology. He says they know him who is from the beginning. They understand the eternality of the second person of the Trinity. But then he gets to young men, 
And uh, as I was looking in the crowd, I was like, man, this feels good because I saw some young men on stage last night. I ain't even going to go into that. Um, <laughs> but he says young men. And one of the things I did love about the young men last night is that they were bold. He says young men are, are, have the word of God abiding in them, and they are strong, and they have overcome the evil one. I love that. Children, young men, fathers. But he then drops this ball on us, that we are living in the world, but we are called not to be of the world. And he says, whoever loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. He says, whoever loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. He says, we are called to dismiss the pride of flesh, the pride of, of life, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of our eyes. We're called to dismiss this. Why? Because we love the Father. We're in a brand new relationship. And then he gets to this point in the text, and he says, so now, if you want to do that, if you want to be on your game to dismiss the things of the flesh, to dismiss the things of the world, how do we do this? And he says, the way that we do this is by abiding. Can you say abiding? It's a good word right there. It means to remain somewhere, to stay in a steady place. I like that a lot because it, it, it kind of conjures up this idea that we are called to do what Tom Brady does in football, which is remain in the pocket. Now, uh, if anybody knows me, I'm not a Tom Brady fan at all. Uh, if you've ever been to Cottage Grove, I have probably, yeah, yeah, that's a good word right there. That's where you say Amen. And so I find myself struggling every year because every year this dude is successful. This year I got really excited. I started preaching at Cottage Grove, and I said, it's a good day. One, because the saints are doing well, and two, because the patriots are not. I said, it's a good day. Well, you know that was a long time ago. <laughs> Things have changed. Now, I'm looking at this situation, and I'm saying, man, I'm so tired of Tom Brady, but what makes this man so good? One thing, he remains in the pocket. Now, if you don't know anything about football, what I mean by remaining in the pocket is that after a quarterback hikes the ball, his offensive linemen surround him in sort of the shape of an arc, and staying in that place is called remaining in the pocket. That is where the quarterback is supposed to throw the ball from. And he remains there, but he remains there for some reasons. First off, because his nose is in the playbook. He keeps his eyes in the playbook. He knows the plays better than anybody else on the team except for Coach Belichick. Secondly, he knows the coach. The coach is constantly in his ear. Next, he is actually in a constant communication with his teammates. Literally after every play, they gather together to make sure they're on the same page. And when he puts all that together, keeping his nose in the playbook, his coach in his ear, and huddling up with his teammates, he's then able to go out and execute the play by remaining in the pocket. That is the idea of abiding. We are called as Christians to keep our nose in this book, to know this well. I love the fact that he says young men have overcome the evil one because they know the word of God. It abides in them. And yet and still, we're also supposed to keep the coach in our ear, loving communion with God through prayer. And we're also called to huddle up with our teammates. This is what Connection Groups is all about. 
that you're about to go out on the field, you need to make sure that you have a group of women or men that are surrounding you and are going towards the same goal that you're going towards. And when you put these three things together of keeping your nose in the scriptures, communing with God in prayer, and loving one another in community, you are then able to go out and abide in Christ by keeping his commandments on the field. That is what it looks like to abide in him. He said, this is abiding. Now, there are two reasons that he says that we are called to abide. Look at what the text says. It says, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. I like that. Don't skip past the part where he says, when he appears, the Jesus Christ that was crucified by Pontius Pilate, this Jesus Christ who was beaten, flogged, crucified, dead and buried, raised from the dead, and he ascended into heaven. But don't mistake it, he's not going to stay there forever. He will come back again to grab his people. He's coming back. And he says, when he does so, we want to have confidence We want to be excited when he comes. We don't want to shrink from him in shame at his coming. Confidence is the first reason why we abide. And this is confidence in three things, I think, from this epistle. First off, that God is good. Confidence that he is good. And this goes right against the temptation in the garden that God is holding out on you. Literally, Satan tempts Eve with what she already has in God. He says, hey, if you just take this apple, I can make, you, make sure that you'll be more like God. You'll be your own God. And here's what's crazy. He offers her the chance to be like God, but God already made her in his likeness. He offers her what God has already given her. And he was able to do it because she, in her heart, began to question, is God holding out on me. Some of you are asking that right now. Is God holding out on me? Is God here just a party pooper? Just just stingy, grinchy, just angry all the time? I don't like when you eat carbohydrates, sugars, the devil. Just mad for no reason. Oh, is that a smile? No! Like, this is not our God. God loves when his people are enjoying him. God isn't raining on your parade because it ain't your parade anyhow. It's his. And he loves when we're able to celebrate him and enjoy the things that he has given us. And it is a lie from the pit of hell that says the only way to have enjoyment in this life is to do things opposite the way the designer has said. It's foolishness. And that... The essence of death. He said, you want to have confidence that he is good. Confidence that he is gracious. That he will actually forgive you no matter how bad you have sinned. No matter how bad your struggle with addiction is. Jesus Christ is still, as we taught yesterday, faithful and just to forgive and cleanse. He's faithful And he's just, he's gracious. And then the last confidence that we want to have is that he's giving. 
Two places in 1 John actually says this. Chapter 3 lets us know that this is the confidence we have towards him. That whatever we ask, listen, 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 whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Now, you want to stop there because most of the time we hear we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. We want to give ourselves a pat on the back. But I love what John says next. He says, and this is his commandment. Listen up. That you believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded. The commandment that God wants you to keep is simply believe in Jesus who's accomplished it all. He says, and when you do that, when you abide in that Jesus, ask whatever. Because the requests that you are asking are going to be for his kingdom, not your own. Confidence. But the other reason is the other side of the coin, that we might not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Y'all know what it's like. Again, Jesus Christ died on the cross, sent the Spirit of God in you, and the Spirit of God has one role to make sure that Jesus Christ is glorified in your heart. And so he begins to woo you to abide in him. Come on, let's, let's just put down the phone for a second and let's pick up the scriptures. Just five minutes. Anybody just... Felt that in your spirit before you just sitting there just chilling, enjoying yourself in the spirit of God. Pop, pop. Anytime. You're like, ah, you know, this is getting too good. Like, it's only my 17th time going through the office. I got to finish this one. <laughs> we ignore them and we ignore them and we ignore them. Just a little bit of time in the word. Just a little bit of time in prayer and the spirit of God is wooing you. Go to connection. It's going to be good. Just go there. Go obey me. Share the gospel with John. I'm telling you, go do it. And we ignore his wooing. And we ignore his call. And what do you think will be the response when Jesus appears after ignoring all of his calls? You retreat. You retreat. We know what it's like. I remember I uh, went to family reunion. Um, and my auntie... Uh, her name was Auntie Boo. Don't worry about that. <laughs> and Auntie Boo was calling me a lot. She would call me to wish me happy birthday. She would call me to congratulate me on graduating. And then we had this family reunion, and I knew I was going to see Auntie Boo. Now, after all of that time ignoring her, you know what's on my mind on the plane ride down to Louisiana? How am I going to lie? It's terrible. It's awful. But this is the response that we have when we've been ignoring someone's call and then they show up at our front door. When Jesus appears, will you have confidence because you have been responding to his wooing call to abide in him? Or will you want to retreat if he showed up today? Confidence through abiding in him. We are called to be abiding children. Next, we're called to be adopted children. Here's what's beautiful. He says, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure, listen, that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we 
are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That is an awesome text right there. Even John is losing his mind as he's writing it. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. You can almost see the excitement of a dude who's walking with Jesus probably for 70 years up until this point. And he hasn't lost his excitement for Jesus Christ bringing him into the family of God. I want to go to my grave like that with a smile on my face pondering the parental child relationship between me a sinner and God the Savior. That's what's happening in this text. John is ecstatic. You take him to a football game, he's like, that's sweet, that's dope, that's cool. But you tell him that Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for him. And that not only did he die to forgive him of sins, but he was raised so that John would now be a son alongside Jesus Christ, the God, the Father. John loses his mind. What I've been afraid of is that while John is blown away by the fact that God is our Father, I feel like we've been bored by this news. Maybe it's just because you don't know who God is. <laughs> that God is the creator of the universe. You ever just read through Genesis and just sat there and thought? Do you notice what the text is saying in Genesis? That God is talking and stuff is just appearing out of nowhere. And I ain't talking about some like magic show, all you can make appear is cars. <laughs> My man is making Jupiter, Jupiter become, Jupiter who don't even know what it is. All right, time to start spinning. <laughs> what do I do next? Tree become. Tree just, whoo, how long do you want my branches to be? I mean, it's crazy. Our God is so incredible that when he says something, Stuff that does not yet exist has to become. And that God is your dad. That's amazing news right there. And that's why he loses his mind. Now, biblically, there's two ways that we become children of God. We're adopted and we're born. Now, this adoption idea is an incredible idea. It means that you've been adopted by God the Father this is amazing. This means this is not a gospel of a slumber party, that God invites you in for a couple of days and then you got to go back home. This isn't even a foster care gospel, that there's always looming over your head the reality that you might have to go home one day. God has adopted you permanently. He will always be your father. There was a hearing in heaven where you stand on the, uh, literally on the seat, and, and God the Father comes in, and you know the bailiff says, all rise. And so, you know what I mean? God comes out, and he's like, no, 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 I'm going to let my son take care of this one. So Jesus comes out with his right robe, and he come down, 
He sinks the bitch. And everybody is, is literally sitting there and they're standing and rising. But something different happens when this judge gets on the seat. Because in every other courtroom, in order to honor the judge, you rise. But when you're in the presence of God, everyone falls. And they fall down in the courtroom. And Jesus says, you may take your seat. People scared just can't even get up. And finally, since we're here to hear the hearing of David Livingston to be a child of God, what do you present, David? David doesn't come up with some, I helped an old lady across the street the other day. <laughs> David doesn't say that I became Herman to make a whole bunch of students laugh. <laughs> David has one thing to bank on. I don't got nothing, but I know that you assigned to me a good lawyer. And the judge who is Jesus says, indeed I did. And the judge gets off of the bench and comes beside David himself. And he says to the courtroom, I present nothing to you, no resume, no anything. I simply present my blood. And through my blood, David is now declared a child of the living God. This is not a formality, it's a brand new identity, literally sealed in the blood of Jesus Christ. He says we are not just called the children of God, we indeed are the children of God. That's amazing. That's amazing. Another way that we become children of God is we are born in him. Do you get that? That you've been born of God. God has given you his DNA, born again, regenerated, your brand spanking new. What I love about this idea of being born is that, again, we talked about it last night. When a baby comes into the world, they have no control over anything. They just come in exposed. Again, when you're born, you have no control over it. Like, nobody gets to say, well, I don't really want the dad, but I'll take the mom. Give me another dad. You are born passively. You can't take any credit for your birthday. And yet they still celebrate it. God is the one who called you, and God is the one who converted you. He saved you. And he has caused you to be born again, First Peter says, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This was caused by God. And as soon as it happens, everything changes. Everything changes. I was uh, back in Alaska, spent some time there. My dad was in the military. And for the first time, I saw Alaskan crab legs. Now, it looked creepy to me. Because uh, when I was down in Louisiana, all we would eat were the blue crabs, the small johns. So I saw these Alaskan crab legs, and they're massive. And I was just like, yo, y'all trying to poison me? Because I know that y'all gave crabs steroids. <laughs> it's clear as day. Finally, somebody explained to me, no, they're just different up here. Uh-huh. So my pop starts cracking them. He starts dipping them in the butter. And he starts eating them. And as he's eating them, this stuff that looked weird to me now becomes tempting. And I'm like, yo, there's a lot more meat in that joint than the blue crabs, yo. <laughs> so I'm staring at it. 
I'm watching my father eat. And now that which my father delights in, I start to delight in. And I finally get a taste. And I'm like, I ain't never going back to bluegrass. <laughs> Why? Because my father allowed for me to taste something brand new. But the only reason I was introduced to that is because I am a son of my dad. Here's what is true. When you are born into the family of God, you have brand new DNA. And because of that, you are called to live a life that reflects that of your father. He gives you brand new taste buds. I was sitting at the table yesterday at Akabono, and we were eating some sushi. And David leans over and he says, when we were talking about, you know, where we should eat lunch and all of that, uh, we weren't sure where to go. And so everybody said, let's do sushi. And then he finally hit him. He looked around. He's like, we're all white. <laughs> I don't know if a black dude likes sushi. So it hit me up. And I was like, absolutely. Well, he asked me the question. He's like, yo, so did the people that you grew up with actually like sushi? I was all like, I didn't say no. And I didn't say yes. I said, the ones who have tasted it, love it. <laughs> See, here's what's true, is that when you come into relationship with God, it is the first time that you are tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. You change your taste buds immediately. God does this incredible work that he literally gives you palates for the things that he loves. He changes the way you see the world. And immediately you desire things that you never desired before. And just like my boys in the hood, you ask the question, who loves Jesus? The ones who have tasted and seen that he is good. We have brand new taste buds because we have a brand new identity. God's DNA flows through us now. We are children of God. But... Though that's all privilege and that's all nice, we can celebrate that, it does come with some responsibility. Look at verse 3 of chapter 3. He says, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Now don't miss what the text said before, that when Jesus Christ appears, we shall be like him. Love how Philippians says, he says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's good news. Here's what the text is saying. It's saying that God is not over here in eternity past looking at the future through some dim glass and hoping that somehow, some way, he can kind of do some cleansing work on us in the future. He's like, yo, recap, man, the boy is kind of off. So I'm going to have to do a lot of work, but I think if I do this and if I do this, maybe in the future it'll somehow turn out for his good. Nah, because our God exists outside of time. So he's not sitting back here hoping that one day he will purify us. He's in the future already with glorified recap, glorified Salt Company, Iowa City, and he's saying that it looks good from here. That's what our God is saying, so don't fret when he says purify yourself. He will complete the task in you if you know Jesus. But the call is to be purified. And he says purify himself based on the fact that you know where you're going. 
It's hard for a runner to win a race when he can't see the finish line. When you don't know where you're going, when you don't know where you're headed, it is hard for you to pursue the things that God wants you to pursue. But when you know what's going to happen at the end of time, it allows for you to be stirred up to pursue righteousness all the more. Now look at the text after this. For he says that this purification is against sin. What is sin? Everyone who makes a practice of sin also practices lawlessness. Verse 4, sin is lawlessness. Do you notice that like John is rugged like we was talking about? That he's not like, you know, sometimes we do some pretty bad things. I know we made some mistakes in our past, but gee willigers. <laughs> no. John is like, sin is utter rebellion against a holy God. This is why the idea of confession is saying the same thing about your sin that God does. Don't try to finagle your mind to thinking that it's not that bad. He says it's lawlessness. Here's what's true. When we diminish the severity of our sin, we diminish the significance of the cross. Don't do that. Jesus died and he paid a hefty price. Just because you got it for free doesn't mean it wasn't expensive. Sin is lawlessness. He goes on to say this, that you know the Son, he appeared to take away sin, and in him is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning since the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Listen, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Can you get a clearer picture than that? He says, if you say that you know God and you continue to sin without conviction, confliction, or confession, then you, my friends, are lying. John will just straight up say it. You're a liar. I don't believe you. You need more people. Stop. You're done. Stop telling me a lie and thinking I'm going to believe it. Now, this is a very clear statement because he doesn't even leave a bunch of options. Either you practice righteousness, and righteousness again is not blamelessness but brokenness. I'm going to pursue righteousness, and I'm going to be real when I fail, and ultimately that is the call of the repentant Christian life. Either you pursue that and you are a child of God, or you practice sin and you're a child of Satan. You can almost hear John in his Mari voice saying, if you practice sin, listen, God is not your father. <laughs> it's clear as day. 
But I like this text in the middle of all of this. He says in verse 8, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Why? For God's seed abides in him. Listen to the text, friends. This should be freeing. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. What is he saying in this text? He's saying that when you truly meet Jesus Christ, everything changes. He does not say that if you've been born of God, you need to try really hard to not sin. No! He says if you've actually been born of God, you can't keep doing the same things the way you did them before. It's impossible. Why? Because God's seed now abides in you. You are a brand new person. I love this. It reminds me of LeBron James just joined the Los Angeles Lakers, and my wife is a fan of the L.A. Lakers. Now, I'm a fan of the Philadelphia 76ers, so you can see that there's anything we beef on in the household. It's uh, basketball hoops. Now, LeBron James joins the Lakers. Here's what happens. The odds for them winning a championship increase immediately. It's not that they were looking at the other players saying, hmm, you know, this guy Alonzo Ball, he's been working pretty hard in this game in the offseason. It's not that they're looking at all of the other players, huh, Brandon Ingram, man, I can tell he's been working on his jump shot. No, they're not looking at any other player on the team saying that they improved. The reason the odds for them winning a championship increased is because one person became a part of the team. When Jesus Christ enters into your heart, God banks on himself. He says, I don't care how messed up you are. I don't care how sinful you are. You could be the trashiest of trash. I'm going to use Paul to prove it. Paul running the opposite direction with a sword in his hand saying, I'm about to kill everybody. I'm murking the whole house. Everybody who believes in Jesus, you're done, son. You're done. And then Jesus, real cool it is, it's like, I'm going to just give him a little taste of my glory. Like, He's on his horse, and then Jesus show up, and my man Paul falls, first thing he says, Lord, that's crazy, yo, that's really wild, I mean, can you imagine meeting a dude who is on the other team fighting Everything that has the name Christian, you put a fist on your, your car, he is going to give you a flat tire slash ministry. I mean, he's killing everything that has the name of Christian. And one day, Jesus just gives him a glimpse of glory like, and my man immediately calls him Lord. Jesus changes everything. He's not banking on the fact that I think, you know, huh, I think Paul's going to start improving himself. I think Paul's going to get better day by day. He's just going to keep working hard, and he's going to start to do just better stuff. He's going to stop. He's going to put down the sword, and maybe he'll just pick up a knife, and then one day he'll just pick up a rock, and, and it'll just go down. He'll just decrease. You know what I mean? Like, go from wanting to kill us to just wanting to break our noses, right? No, Jesus banks on himself. 
I know where to get to him. Let, me, let him just meet me. He meets him. It's over. The same people he was killing, he's now preaching beside. Crazy. Why? Because Jesus changes everything. And so, here's our call. Is that the DNA of God resides in you now through regeneration. This is not burdensome. This is freeing. For what you are trying to overcome in your life, sin, the flesh, Jesus Christ has already overcome. And the one who has overcome now has passed his DNA to you. And here is the truth of the gospel. That you are now sons and daughters. Not just called sons and daughters. This is not a formality. This is a brand new identity. That this is what the gospel says. That the same love that God the Father places upon Jesus Christ is the same exact love he has placed upon you. If that is true, friends, we can begin to look like our dad. We can begin to walk like our dad. We can begin to talk like our dad. We can begin to do the things that our father does because this was not a formality. It's a brand new identity. God's DNA resides in you. And so, let's be abiding children in the word of God in prayer, in community. Let's remember that we're adopted. And let's finally align ourselves with what God loves so that we might be able to show to the world that we indeed are our Father's children. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for blessing us with this understanding that we are your children. We pray that you would continue to teach us how to live this out more and more. And God, I do pray for those who are struggling with sin and, and feel like they can't overcome. God, would you just bless them with confidence in who you are and what you've done for them. We present this time to you. We love you so much. It's all in your matchless name we pray. All God's people say.